next song we're going to sing kind of has a, a two parts. There's, there's the lion and there's the lamb, which you might think are two completely opposite things. But guess what? Our God does not contradict himself. Can I get, can, amen? He is the same God, same God. So the lion that roars and is mighty and comes with, with thunder and might is the same God that we say is the lamb who was gentle and meek and lowly and was slain on our behalf for the forgiveness of sin. Same God, no contradiction, amen? Amen, church, let's sing it out. It's coming on the clouds, kings and kingdoms will
praise that he deserves. Amen. Man, isn't there something about the name of Jesus? We've talked about this. I feel like we just talked about it last week. But guys, let's remember there is power and victory in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus makes darkness flee. Do we understand the power of our praise, church? Do we understand it? Not just here in this place, but as we go and as we sing these same songs and the name of Jesus makes the enemy flee. He hates it. He hates it, doesn't he? Doesn't he, Cooper? We've talked about this when we're scared at night. What do we need to do? Say his name and say it louder and say it louder and sing it and sing it louder. The name of Jesus. There's just something about that name. Let's keep singing.
continue our prayer. Oh God, in so many ways, we, we just we sung our heart's cry to you. God, that, that you are holy. And we desire to live lives that, that show your holiness and that, that as we walk as your children, God, and that you continue to fill us with your spirit, Lord, that we can go to the world and show them who you are and bring your hope to them. Sung that, but God, I just ask that you would um, continue to help that be our heart's cry, God, through the remainder of this service. And as we leave, may this not be something that we only declare on Sundays, but God, that on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, that we sing this heart cry and live like it. Lord, I want to ask that here and now, in this place, that you would be with, um, be with the burdens, the, the people that have brought heavy burdens. God, um, we know that you're with us, but I ask that you, um, that your presence would just be felt in a very real way. God, for maybe those that are struggling to, to feel and sense that presence, I pray that they would be encouraged by the testimonies of the people that are here declaring your faithfulness. God, would you help us um, to continue to orient our lives completely around you and who you are and what you have for us. Lead us, Lord, through the remainder of this service. May you be glorified in every aspect. Lord, we love you, and we just want our lives to look like that. It's in your son's precious and holy name that we pray this. last line that we sang. Uh, need someone to write this down and hold on to it because we're going to need it a little bit later. But Lord, lead me. May your love lead me to those around me. So we're going to come back to that in a little bit. But I'm going to forget that later, so I want you to hold on to it because we have something very important we're going to celebrate this morning and participate in today. We have an opportunity to, to dedicate one of the blessings that God has shared with our faith family, with a family in our faith family. And we're going to dedicate her to the Lord this morning. And I want to invite Della Ray to join us up front. And you, she can bring her parents if she'd like. And uh, I know she has some other family with her today. If they would like to come, they're welcome as well. But we're going to dedicate Adela this morning. And this is one of my favorite things to do in the life of the church. It's such a great testimony of God's faithfulness. And it's our opportunity to be reminded of our responsibility and to come alongside and to, uh, to just the role that we have as a church in helping her become, I'm going to tell Nicole, would you and David come up here with me? Everyone else can kind of get a see. We want them to see this beautiful blessing. And she looked precious this morning. And we are so excited to share in her life and be part of her spiritual nurturing and upbringing, not just now, but in all of her years to come. So we come today, though, recognizing that, well, children are important to God. And they're also important to us. So we partner with him in uh, taking great care of these gifts that he gives to us. In Psalms 127, verse 3, we write, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. A fruit of the womb is a reward. While some gifts um, have strings attached, and we know that many others do not, in this case, uh, God's gift, gift to you does have strings attached. We're going to talk about those strings this morning. This God has given you this precious gift. Uh, words that would escape us in defining how much she already means to you, undoubtedly. But with this gift also comes responsibility. So it's the responsibility we're going to refer to and, and address this morning. 
God's given you this responsibility to train up your daughter in the way that she should go so that she could know the Lord. God has given you this responsibility to be an example of what it looks like to live out a Christian faith in your home, uh, in life, outside of the home, even outside of church. God's given you the responsibility to provide for and to protect, to nurture your daughter, to make her a part of your family, sharing with them love, time, and your life. Let her know your story. She becomes the caretaker of your story in the years to come and will pass it on to your grandchildren. We also have the responsibility to teach them to love Jesus. That same love that you have, that same love that's brought you here this morning, to serve and to obey, to honor him with all of her heart. But you're not alone in this responsibility. You have a faith family that's here with you, that's prayed with you, that's cried with you, that celebrates even now with you. They've seen your journey. They know how difficult it has been to get to this place. Because of that, we recognize, to, to perhaps a different level, uh, the significance of Della Ray, not just in your life, but in the life of our church. Because her story is also our story. So God provides you with strength, he provides you with encouragement, he provides you with love, and he provides you with family and friends to walk with you through what should surely will be some joyous times, but also some frustrating times. I think the writer of Psalms 127, when he wrote, the children are a gift of the Lord, was having a pretty good day. Because there's other days where you might be looking for the receipt and wondering if we could take her back. But it doesn't work that way. Um, you're all in. And I know without a doubt that David and Nicole, you both are all in this morning. So today we become this, we don't just dedicate her. Instead, we dedicate you as parents, recognizing the commitment that you are making this morning. You're making a public statement, a proclamation, that this is important to us, that we're going to raise our daughter in a Christ-honoring home. So to affirm that, and to get your commitment on video, we're going to ask God's blessings upon you, but also we're going to come beside you. We're going to get you answering some questions that are going to affirm your commitment to her, but also to God this morning. So when you give these answers, recognize that you're not answering us. You're not answering Della. You're answering God. So I ask you this morning, if you're willing to commit Della to the Lord, to dedicate her and raising her in God's strength, for his honor and glory, then respond by saying, I do, to the following promises. You recognize Della as a gift from God, and give God thanks for the blessings that you have been given through her life. You dedicate Della to the Lord, who gave you this beautiful little girl. You pledge as Christian parents that you'll bring up your child in a Christian home, looking to God for wisdom, strength, guidance, and protection. And finally, do you promise to pray for your child on a regular basis, Realizing that it's only with God's help and with God's hand upon her life that she can truly be blessed. If your heart was in these promises and you've dedicated yourself to raising a daughter that God can use mightily for his kingdom. And we look forward to being a part of that. Pastor Marsden, help us with this next. All right, church, this is our part. We are called the family of God, and that doesn't mean that we're related by biologically, but that we are related through choice and through choosing to be a community together um, and through Jesus's blood. So David and Nicole, they need our help too. They aren't, they aren't on their own and we never want them to feel that way. Um, children are such a beautiful part of our church. We have been so blessed to have years and years of children running through our sanctuary, running up and down the halls. And Nicole truthfully has been a part 
of a, a lot of that. If you are under about 20, 22 years old, or if you've had a child that you've raised in our church, they have most likely spent some time in Miss Cole's class, and they have lots of fond memories of preschool with her. She has served our church so faithfully, and it is such a joy that it's, it's our turn now. It's our turn to get to pour into their family. So she has planted truth into our preschoolers' hearts, and we now get to make that same commitment that that's what we're, we want to do for Della. So David and Nicole are standing here today. They're expressing their desire to raise Della as a part of our community. They're counting on us. They're counting on us for encouragement, for prayer, for that very tangible act of serving in our children's programs, coming alongside them as we echo what they're already teaching Della at home. So we don't want to take this commitment lightly, but church today, if you are willing to be a part of this, I ask you as a body to encourage, support, and sustain this family as they raise Della to know and love Jesus Christ. If so, will you respond? We will. We will. This goes. Girl. Beautiful. He's always this pleasant and, and, and right? Always. Yeah, yeah, sure. We'll, we'll go with that this morning. No. Della Ray Nickel, it's a privilege and an honor this morning to dedicate you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray a prayer of blessing over her this morning together. Father, Lord, words are inadequate. We try to say thank you. That's all we have this morning. We are speechless, Lord, when we think about the gifts you give, what it means to, to see this little baby, to to hold her, to, to hear her, to watch her grow. Father, that today um, we thank you for what you've given. But we also know, Lord, that uh, the work's just beginning. Being a parent in our, our culture today is challenging. Our word wants nothing more than to steal her from us and from you. But Lord, today as we commit her to you, we are making a commitment. Her parents are making a commitment. Do all that we can, Father, to make sure that she knows who you are, that she sees the difference you can make in her life, She'll have all that she needs to make a choice, her own choice. In time, we pray, Father, to follow you, give her life to you. She's a blessing to us now. And I pray, Lord, in the days and the years ahead, she'll be a blessing to you. She's a part of your kingdom. I look forward to how, Lord, you're going to use her to grow your kingdom. We give her back to you. Lord, there's no better place for her to be than in, in your care, underneath your favor. And Lord, we just ask today that this is the first day of many wonderful, beautiful days that the church gets to celebrate the life of Della Ray Nickel. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi. Would you like to join us today? Those beautiful eyes. She's not so sure. She says, who are you? So I'm going to give her back before this gets out of hand. And, uh, will you join me in congratulating this family and the decision that they have made? Let's never take for granted the significance and importance of those moments in life of the church. Evidence that our family is growing, and those are good seasons for us to go through together. Do you love being a part of a church where you get to hear babies cry? Honestly, don't you? I, I do. And moms and dads don't ever think you have to take your kids out if they're crying. It, it does not bother me. It, if it bothers the person next to you, then you, you send them to me, and I'll, I'll, I'll deal with that. But uh, we are glad to have a church full of blessings such as James. And we had a chance in the first service to dedicate Della Ray Nickel. And uh, we have a few other great baby stories to tell. 
Um, baby Carson uh, Wright has gotten to go home, and we're just so thankful for that. And God's doing good things in the lives of our young families, and we get to be a part of that with them. Let's not take for granted uh, the responsibility and the commitment that we've made today. Because uh, life is going to throw some curveballs to our little ones in time, and we need to be prepared for those seasons come to step into their messes. I was sharing in first service, uh, for those who don't know, I used to be a chemist. I used to work for a couple of um, companies where I did research and development for, for, for new products. And when, when, when our young oldest daughter was born, I, I worked at a company not, not too far from here in Columbus where we, we made infant formula. So for the first year of her life, we had a kind of an in, inside track to, 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 to baby formula. It was really kind of a blessing. It was great for us. And then when, when Brianna was born, our second daughter, I had already moved to a, to a new company. And this company made diapers. So for the first company, we got baby formula. The second company, I, I got diapers. And then by the time we had our son, our, our third child, God had moved me into ministry and I got nothing. But uh, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding, God. appreciate, you know, we, we know uh, God provided for all of our needs. But we know when you have kids, kids come with mess, right? I think it's part of the job description. You're, you're going to have messes. And life is always messy. It's a great reminder for us that the same is true in our spiritual lives. We don't ever really grow out of the mess. The mess just looks different. But we as a church, as, as children of God, are called to step into the mess of others, to bring hope, uh, to bring light, to, to bring help. And we, as we enter planting season in our community around us, we were reminded last Sunday that Jesus invites those who are weary and burdened to take upon him his easy yoke, this cattle yoke we use as an illustration example. Jesus invites us to come with him to be yoked with him as he goes out into the fields with us to prepare the soil, to plant the seed, to get ready to be sent out into a harvest that is plentiful. We're all invited to take on this zugos that we read in the Greek. There's this cattle yoke to be joined together with him. Jesus encourages us to listen to his teachings, to learn from him, to follow his example, to be humble. And as we learn, as we model, and as we follow in his footsteps, then others, too, are in, in encouraged to come and find out what difference grace makes in our lives. We shared in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40 last Sunday, uh, the response that Jesus gives to this question from the religious uh, scholar, the religious expert who knew all that he thought there was to know about God's word. He says, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus responds with this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. These two commands that Jesus gives, he, he summarizes with this last sentence in verse 40. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The law, the prophets, the Bible, it hangs on these two hooks. As we get dirty in our work, it begins here. So today we continue our conversation by starting the process of turning over the dirt if you're to plant a garden or to plant flowers or to plant a crop, you just can't go and throw it on the hard ground. The seed doesn't take root or not very well. Excuse me. So we have to prepare the soil, turn over the dirt, kind of to get things ready for the seeds to take root. And the soil that we're turning is, stay with me, this is a really important part. The soil we're turning, church, is our hearts. See, this work, this dirty work, always begins in us. All ministry. 
All service, all outreach to others always begins in us. We're not willing to start there. Everything else that comes next is in vain. It doesn't matter. It has to begin in us. A few weeks ago, my family and I were out shopping. And my son, who's six, uh, with big eyes and excitement, says, it came out! And of course, you hear that in the back seat, and you're like, oh no, what came out of what? <laughs> and he had pulled his tooth that had been wiggly for a long time. His second lost tooth. What is his first one? What is his second one? And he's holding it up very proudly as you turn around and you see this big gap in his smile, and he's holding this rotten little bit of blood on its tooth that he just pulled out. Of course, he's big eyes. He's all excited. He wants to hold on to it, but we, we grab it for him because, because we know what's going to happen, right? As moms and dads, we know what's about to happen. But he wanted it back. Amy and I looked at each other, but he just wouldn't stop. We warned him. We gave him back his lost tooth. And yes, a few minutes later, you know what happened. He dropped it. Now, in your car, maybe not an issue. In our van, <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> We spent the next several minutes looking on the floor of the van for his tooth to no avail. We're navigating tears and distress, and Zylan, he was upset as well. And Amy finally convinced the kids to go into the store that we were at with her, but I couldn't stop looking. There's still one place that we hadn't looked, under the car seat. This is where you insert the bum-bum-bum. Why would one dare go to such lengths for a lost tooth? Because in the words of Pastor Kevin Harney, love demands a search. Love demands that we look. Love demands that we find. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, we read, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Why Jesus came. To seek implies more than just a casual search. The word seek means to desire, to require. So he's looking because he has to. Jesus came to seek and to save. Save implies healing or deliverance from harm, deliverance from sin. So he comes to seek those who, and to save those who are lost. We don't like to use that word as often in our culture today. To define people as lost, it's kind of this negative connotation we like to shy away from, but that's just the reality of it. They are lost. It's a word Jesus himself used. When he speaks of those who are apart from him, who don't know him. That's why he came. When we try to water down this idea of being separated from Christ or separated from God, if we try to water down what is it sin does to us, we're watering down the reason for which he came in the first place. But Jesus came to seek, to save those who are lost. Love demands that we search. Why do we do this? What compels us? What's our motivation? These are questions that as a church, as individuals, are, that are essential that we come to the place where we can answer them. Because the answers determine whether the soil is prepared. Our answers to the questions show whether or not our hearts need to be turned, whether the, the, the soil of our, our insides need to be tilled up a little bit. And before we can begin God's dirty work, we have to prepare ourselves. Why do we invite people to church? Why do we come every Sunday? What's the purpose behind it? Is it for ourselves? There's times we need to be fed. I certainly will acknowledge that. 
But are we coming to be equipped so that we can grow his kingdom? We as his church have been given this, this, this com- commission to go into the world and to make disciples. If we're just coming not as disciples, because we like it or it feels good, then we're coming for the wrong reasons. We don't understand grace, or grace itself has not yet become real to us, and we don't really understand what it means to love God. I know that's a bold statement, I get it. But to love God, stay with me, church. To love God is to desire to become like his son. And if we're lacking that desire, then the answers to the questions that I just asked us, well, those answers become well, motivated by a checkbox. Or guilt or fear is what motivates me. We like seeing the sanctuary filled. And while all of those could be good things, they often always lead to different results. See, God does use imperfect motives from time to time. Aren't you glad for that? However, it's imperfect motives that always eventually point to unprepared hearts. So how do we prepare the soil? What changes or turnovers in our own hearts do we need to make? Where does it begin? It's a simple word. Love. Love. We talked about the song we just sang a few moments ago, and he's talking about, Lord, within me might your love be what compels me to serve others. It's his love that moves us. It's his love that that causes us to, to get outside of ourselves to be who he wants us to be. Our love for God is what shapes our hearts. The more we love God, the more the world sees Jesus in us. The more we love God, the more we see the world as Jesus sees it. So it works both ways. As we see others as Jesus does, love moves us to follow Jesus into the fields. We would never go on our own. It's not something we would choose to do. That's just not in our nature. So Jesus invites us to join him on his easy yoke, and he'll lead us into the fields that he has for us. I love that imagery because it's helpful for for me to know that he's not going to send me someplace where he's not going to go with me. I'm never on my own. Because he turns the soil of our own hearts. As we learn to follow him, he takes us into the fields where the harvest is plentiful and we become workers with him to grow his kingdom. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38, we shared this last week. Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but not enough people will yoke themselves to me. Therefore, Jesus says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field. Jesus is teaching his people to pray to God that others will come and to see the need to be yoked to him. He's not praying to God that he'll just send you over here and you over there. He's saying, come and join my son as he takes you where I want you to go. God sends us into his field. Jesus shows us the way, and love is what compels us to follow. Before anything else, love prepares the soil in us to reach out, to love others, to minister to others, to love God. Always begins in us. This church, dirty work, always love-driven, always. Dirty work opens us up to the shared life that God invites us to with himself and with others that we may not see or we might seek to avoid on our own. This week as I was writing, I was left with this question, do I have the faith or enough faith or strong enough faith to ask God to shape my heart to be like Jesus? Do I have enough faith to ask God to give me eyes to see like Jesus? 
If you read the Gospels, it's really clear what this looks like. John chapter 4, the disciples walked right past a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. Not once, but twice. They looked right past her. They didn't see her. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is in, um, talking with people, and the children come to him, and the disciples try to, try to shush them away. But Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. The disciples saw the children, saw them as an inconvenience. Jesus saw them for who they were. He invited them to come close, touch them, and he blessed them. Mark chapter 10, we see a man with leprosy who's desperate for help and, and hears about Jesus and comes and crying out, if you're willing, Jesus, will you just touch me and heal me? Jesus reached out and touched him. To do so was to, to touch this unclean man. It meant Jesus himself in that moment was unclean. We see in these, just these three examples, uh, Jesus looking and seeing those that the culture didn't see. Jesus saw the woman at the well, and she was a Samaritan. Jesus saw the children, and he welcomed them. Jesus saw the unclean, and he touched them. That's what it means to love. That's what dirty work looks like, as we see people everybody else ignores, or tries to avoid, or stay away from, or those that we look down upon, or judge, or crinkle our nose at. Jesus sees them for who they are. Luke chapter 19, we read about such a man. A familiar story. Those of you you've known about it, if you've been in Sunday school or been in church any length of the time, it's a song you maybe have sung, heard about. It's about a man named Zacchaeus. Scripture tells us he was a wee little man. Not exactly in those words, but that's what the song tells us. Scripture says he was a short man, short in stature. We read in verse 1 of chapter 19, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So we read in verse 1, there's really no clear indication of what Jesus is there for. He's just kind of on his way through, maybe on his way to another town. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So Luke points out to us in, in the second verse why this man was not liked very much, why he was hated. He wasn't just a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. And he was wealthy. How did he get wealthy? He got wealthy by skimming off the top, by overcharging people, by taking more than he should have. So over time, he built up this reputation, and nobody liked Zacchaeus except the people like Zacchaeus, the other tax collectors. So Zacchaeus, though, hears about Jesus. There's something missing in his life, and he's hungry for whatever that might be. Whether we recognize it or not, there's people in our lives that are hungry for what only Jesus can provide. But we have to have the faith to recognize that God has the ability and the wisdom and the forethought and the incredible grace to work around us and at ahead of us to prepare people to hear the story that we have to share. So Jesus is coming through Jericho. Zacchaeus is curious, but he can't see because of the crowd. The crowd was part of our story last week too, wasn't it? Where the crowd just keeps showing up. Don't miss this, the indications, the lessons we can learn from the crowds in Scripture. Because whether we recognize it or not, too often we are part of the crowd. The crowds are blocking this the view of Zacchaeus, he can't see. So he runs ahead. And we know the song teaches us before the song teaches us, we learn about it in Scripture. In verse 4, he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Can you see this little man running down the street, climbing a tree? Would a wealthy chief tax collector sit in a tree? Probably not very often. But here was this man who wanted to see Jesus. See, what this tells us, there's a lot of people that are looking, 
And they see us. And just as we're looking and we see them, do they see Jesus in us? And the answer is they don't unless we see them the way Jesus does. You see the correlation? It overlaps. When we see them with the eyes of Jesus, all of a sudden they begin to see Jesus in us. It's a beautiful thing to learn, to realize, to begin to live out. We see that Jesus continues his journey in verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, you know what that spot was. That'd be a great tourist attraction in Jericho. Jesus stopped at this spot. He looked up. He said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must. He says, I must. Not I want to. Not I'd like to. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. See, Jesus saw. Then Jesus basically invited himself over for dinner. I don't know how often that happens in your life, but I have a son who goes to preschool, and one of his teachers is a young lady from our church named Maddie. And every day after preschool, he comes in and he gets in the truck and says, Daddy, I want to go to Maddie's house for dinner. Well, bub, it's not how it works. You can't invite yourself. Well, I did, and she said, it's okay if I come. <laughs> so one of these days, we're going to show up at Dave and Becky's house so my son could have dinner with Maddie because he invited himself over. But Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. But then the crowd comes back into the story. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter. Now, we're good Nazarenes. We don't mutter, do we? Right? No one mutters here? I don't believe you. Just kidding. <laughs> we, we, we tend to mutter when things don't look the way we think they should. See, when we don't like something. We don't speak it out loud because, you know, we're not sure how others might feel, so we, we kind of mutter it under our breath. He's going to be the guest of a sinner. Does he not know who Zacchaeus is? Does he not realize what Zacchaeus has done? If he'd loved, Jesus loved me, he would go get my money back from Zacchaeus that he stole from me. What, what, what's he doing? Jesus sees an opportunity. Jesus sees Zacchaeus. And we need to learn to see. And maybe this is where it begins for us. In this place. There's still some lessons that we are learning all the time. A few weeks ago, I'm just going to address, we haven't really talked about this. We, it hasn't fit in, in what we've been doing with Easter and some of our focuses the last couple weeks on our services. But you may have come in in recent weeks, you've seen some signs on the back couple rows of our seats. And, and I recognize that's caused some frustration and confusion for some. And some have asked, what's this about? And to be honest, there's probably been a little bit of muttering. And, and I get it, because we may not have done the best job of kind of rolling that out in a way that made sense. But the premise of the signs, we want people to move up and to move in and, and to move closer to those that you don't know. That the whole point is so that you will see others that God's sending into our church, who's coming to visit. In my short time as your pastor, and I know it hasn't been very long, but I hope that you come to recognize that I would never do anything to intentionally bother you or, or to bring about frustration that wasn't spiritually led or, or God-ordained. And I'm not, I don't sit at home on Saturdays trying to think of ways, well, how can I get under their skin this morning? That's, not, that's really not who I'm about. But rather, I do sit at home and wonder, how can we be better equipped to see people that God might send to us? So we come up with this idea, we want people to move closer, not just to, because we want you closer, that's just part of it, because there's people that are coming to visit. And when we begin worship, and people stand to worship, it's more so in first services and second service, but, but we're creating both the same. When you come first service and you're standing worship, you can't see what seats are available. 
If you're a visitor who's coming in a little late, because you know, these beautiful gifts of children we just dedicated don't always cooperate on Sunday mornings, right? We might walk in a few minutes late. It happens. I understand. We, we, we live it. We're right there with you. And you walk in, and you can't see what seats are available. That for us, if you're part of our faith family, you can navigate that. But if you're a guest here for the first time, and you can't see a seat or a place to sit, that's not the best impression that we want to make. Okay, we had a family a few weeks ago. It was Palm Sunday, and they came a little bit late, and this mother with three of her children, but because we had moved up, she very comfortably found a place to sit. It was not a problem. Not long after that, we had another family, family of seven, come to first service. They had to split up and sit in different places. Don't misunderstand me. No one, I don't think anyone's back, well, they're not sitting in my seat. I know that's not our hearts, that's not our attitude, don't get me wrong. We're just trying to be proactive in creating space to see people. If we can't do that in here, church, how can we ever see them out there? It has to start in here. If it inconveniences us, or it makes us uncomfortable for a little while, those are conversations that we then need to have. If you physically need to, get that. If you're a mother who wants to sit close to the mother's area, we get that. Second service is not as big of a problem because you can see the seats here. What if you go to first service, maybe you don't know that. We're just trying to be a church that's sensitive to those who are still climbing trees so that they can see Jesus. I want us to be led by love. I want our hearts to be turned over. But when Jesus sends us, we're not surprised by what we see. There's still Zacchaeus in our lives that need to be seen. And what we see depends on how do we love. What we see is a great measure, the measure of love in our own lives. Are we willing to be moved? And I'm not just talking about a seat. We're willing to be moved on the inside. Do I love my neighbor that's apart from God? Do I see him the way Jesus sees him, or her, or them, or a family? Or do I look at them as an inconvenience? Do they play their music too loud, or their yards are a mess, or they never put their trash cans away, or, or, or their dog does his business in my yard? Or do, do we see them like that, or do we see people that are away from God that need love? Maybe the other question I need to ask is, do I love the one God's called me to serve? Do I really love this person the way Jesus does? The answer is not yet. The answer is no. Then there's some preparing that God needs to do in us. And I don't want us to be afraid to have that conversation or, or to pray about such things. It's not an indictment. It's not a criticism. Rather, it's a church. It churches, it's, it's time for us to get ready. The harvest is plentiful, waiting for us to be yoked to Jesus to go where he leads us. And before you think it's easy for me to say, I've got it all figured out, I don't. A couple years ago, I had an encounter where God really began to change me, turn my heart over a little bit. A friend named Mikey. Mikey was connected to our church, one of our previous churches, and Mikey was well-known in the community, but not for the reasons you'd want to be. Um, he needed help often with food. We would help their family, his family, quite a bit. 
I'd take food to their house, and they would invite me into their home, and that in itself was pretty remarkable, but their home was, it was, it was a mess, dirty. You know, they'd want you to sit down, and I'm just being honest, you'd go, to, do I really want to sit down on that? Okay, you're with me, right? People we see all the time, and that's our first response. He was dirty all the time, hair unkempt, beard was a mess. He, he did uh, tobacco, chewing tobacco, so his teeth were always a mess. He'd ride his bike around town everywhere. I mean, you'd see him all over. And, and when I say that, that, that's a big deal where I used to come from because where I used to live, uh, roads aren't as flat as they are here. So when you ride your bike everywhere, you're riding up and down a lot of hills. But he was everywhere. And so one day, he wasn't on his bike anymore. He was walking. And why are you walking? Come to find out his bike was stolen. And he says it was stolen. And so I had a, some opportunities to interact with Mikey from time to time, but I always kind of kept him at arm's length. I'd help him if it was convenient or didn't require too much. Then one day, I was leaving church, end of a day, and while I'm walking down the street, I didn't make eye contact because I knew he was walking. I knew what was coming. I got in my car. I mean, oh, not today. I'm, I'm just tired. It's been a long day. And I pulled out to go home. Got about a quarter of a mile, half a mile. God said, what are you doing? What are you doing? God, I just don't want to. God, he, he's dirty. He, he, he smells. It, it'll take days to air out my car. Excuses. I didn't get much further than the Holy Spirit turned me around. I went back to where I'd seen him, and he was still walking. I pulled up beside him and said, Mike, do you need a ride? Oh, yeah, Pastor, I'd love a ride. Hops in my car. I took him home. I'm not proud of that. I, I tell you that to, to let you know I, I, I understand. I get it. But if I'm going to claim to love God, I have to let him allow him, help me to see people as Jesus sees them. That's kind of an extreme situation. Maybe some others in our lives that aren't as extreme but are just as difficult. To let people into our car. To smell up our lives a little bit. It's not easy. The only reason we do it, would choose to do it, would want to do it, is because we have a God who loves us. And his love moves us to yoke ourselves to Jesus. And Jesus leads us to the Mikeys in our lives. We would never go there on our own. Let's be honest. We wouldn't. But that's the dirty work that he's leading and taking us to. And we're never going to get there until we prepare the inside of us. <coughs> Not long after, his mother passed away. She was part of our church, very, very faithful. It was kind of sudden. And I remember Mikey crying in my arms. And the smell didn't bother me. For a funeral, I, I didn't even recognize him. He'd gotten a haircut, and he shaved, and he even had a suit on. He came to church. It was, it was a really exciting time to see him in a different light. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Mikey came to know who Jesus was or got saved. I don't know. But who are the Mikeys in our lives that God has called us to love 
but that may cause others to raise an eyebrow or to question our motives or to mutter under their breath. Who are the lost among us that are attracted to our message, to the change that grace makes in our lives? Who among us need a ride in life? Need a little bit of help. We need to be seen. Chapters 19 of Luke, verses 9 and 10, Jesus responds to the muttering. He said to him, he says to Zacchaeus, I thought this was interesting in Scripture. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus knows what the crowd's saying. He doesn't respond to them. He responds to the ones through which he's now come to have dinner with. He responds to the one who was lost. And he proclaims, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Now that statement carried some weight. This man too is now one of God's children. What he was saying in this moment. To be a son of Abraham is to be included. And we read verse 10 as we shared earlier. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus is no longer lost. Salvation has come to him, yet there's still lost people remaining in the story. Let me go back to verse 7. All the people. See, what all the people saw, what all the people see, bears witness to their own hearts. They saw a sinner. They saw a thief. They saw a wee little crook who didn't deserve to be loved, to be redeemed. They saw the sin in Zacchaeus, but could not see their sin expressed through their attitudes, through their disdain for one who was apart from God. As we finish today, we're not there yet, so don't get too excited. <laughs> but I'm going to give you some homework. And part of that homework is to become people of prayer. I believe you already are. And part of that prayer is to ask God to shape our hearts. It's also a dangerous prayer. It's a prayer that asks God to do what he already desires in us. And don't you think God's going to be willing to answer that prayer if it's what he wants to do in us to begin with? When God answers this prayer, then our response then has to be, what would Jesus do in this situation? We learn what Jesus would do by studying his life in ministry. By recognizing and realizing that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So to see as Jesus sees then leads us to do what Jesus would do. Even those that are difficult to love. We see it all throughout Scripture. The adulterous woman, the rich young ruler, the widow and her offering, uh, even a seeking Nicodemus, or a big-mouthed Peter, or a too-busy Martha. Even the religious that plotted against him, Jesus loved. From the cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. As we begin to develop a heart like Jesus, we too are going to be faced with loving, difficult people. And here's a side note. If you don't know this already, we are all difficult people to somebody else. <laughs> That's a tough one. But in so many ways, it's true. As we develop a heart like Jesus, we not only recognize difficult people, we're not only drawn to difficult people, but we find the broken. We step into the messy. We welcome the mud and the dirt. Because the dirt bears evidence of ascending God who is placing us in his field at just the right time for just the right person, for just the right reason, in the midst of a harvest. See, we never end up there on our own. We choose, we have to choose dirty work. And dirty work, work becomes dirty when we're led to those who are separated from God. 
Separation caused by sin. Work becomes dirty when we're led to those who are isolated, who are separated from community and friends. Work becomes dirty when God leads us to those who are in pain, be it physical, emotional, or mental. Work is dirty when we are sent to those who are filled with hatred, wounds, disgust. Work is dirty when we're sent to those who are grieving, who have dealt with lost loved ones or a life change or a lost job or lost security. Dirty fields is where the best spiritual work takes place. But too often we want to avoid the dirty. It's uncomfortable. We don't like it. But love demands a search. Love demands we look, that we seek. Love demands we share grace that which we've received. Now I'm sure you're wondering, whatever happened to Zion's missing tooth? Well, I did pull up that car seat. I navigated the goldfish and the french fries and the kids' meal toys. Don't judge. <laughs> I still couldn't find his tooth. Then I realized I was looking for the wrong thing. I was looking for a tooth like we see, like we picture. Big old white thing with you know, two little roots on the bottom of it. And I think too often that's what we go in looking for. We look for the white, the perfect, the intact. I had to adjust what I was looking for. I was looking for a rotten, half tooth with no roots. It was br He brushed his teeth that day, don't get me wrong. But this dirty thing that needed to come out. So I started looking for something different. And then, insert heavenly harps. There it was. It was right in front of me all along. I just I wasn't seeing it. I was looking for the wrong thing. See, love's search had found what was lost. Every parent understands that look. I picked up his tooth. I took it inside the store. And that look of joy when I walked into the furniture store with that missing tooth wrapped securely in McDonald's napkin. When I presented to my son, the lost had been found. Don't you, you you've been there when you found that thing that's lost, that, that excitement, that joy. There it is. His face, I imagine, was kind of like the face of God. Those eyes, that, that smile, that grin. What was lost had been found. Love prepared the soil. Love demanded a search. Love found what was lost and brought it back to its owner. Only God-empowered, God-sourced love will move us to see and to love as Jesus did. It's where it begins. Do I love God? That, that answer is given by more than just with words. We answer that question by taking on Jesus' easy yoke. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Celebrate when the lost have been found. Don't we? We should. We have an opportunity to do that this morning. And we're going to celebrate in, in, in a baptism today. And I'm going to invite Chassie to come now, and, and we're going to celebrate the lost being found. And church, this is why we come. This is why we're here, is to go into to those the, whose lives have been broken. And all of us have come from broken lives. So I might mistake that. To see as Jesus sees, to respond with his grace. Today we do that through the sacrament of baptism.
testimony of forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. That's why I'm going to have you stand here with me for a moment. And, and she has, she's written a testimony. She's asked me to share with you. And I wanted to read it to you. This is beautiful. This is why we're here. This is what it means to search, to seek those who are lost. Cassie writes, I'll never understand what God saw in my beaten down, messed up life. But I happily accept the mystery of it all. He's chosen me to be his child. He's redeemed me with the blood of his one sinless son, Jesus. God has invited me to lay my problems at his feet. Words cannot express the way I feel. With Jesus, I am complete. From this day forward, I'm happy to be walking with God instead of all alone. And I know today that God is with me. He's never given up on me. From this day forward, I will now live for God's will. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? That's what this is about. That's why we're here. This is why we ask you to be inconvenienced from time to move up, to move in, to move closer, so we can create space for those who need to find what we found, so we can see what Jesus sees. So I'm going to ask Chassie to step over to the baptismal. I got a few more questions for you, but I'll let you get wet before I ask you those. I tried to warm it up a little bit, but we'll see. I'm going to have you turn around a little this way. There you go. You can have to have a seat. I'm going to put your leg. There you go. A little cold? <laughs> Sorry about that. When we do Jose in a couple weeks, we'll warm his up for him. Okay. Put some ice in here. Chassie, I have some questions for you. Do you profess today that you've accepted forgiveness of your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ? Yes. Do you profess today that you've chosen to allow Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Does your desire today to live your life according to God's will, helping others to see light hope, and life in you that they also, too, can find through salvation. Cassie, right. go ahead and hold your nose for me. Right. And on your wrist here. It's an honor and a privilege this morning to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Congratulations. Church, we all come from messy backgrounds. We all have messy stories. God loved each of us enough to send someone into the dirt to find us. Why would we ever think of stopping short of letting God send us to go find someone else? So here's your homework. Be glad you got homework this week. Thank you, Chassie, for that blessing. And um, next week, we're, we're going to baptize Jose next week. Jose had to leave early today. We're going to baptize Jose next week. And we've been talking to a few others that are interested in this beautiful moment. And, and boy, what a joy it is to, to celebrate what God is doing. But here's your homework. These, these got three things I want you to do. Easy things. Beautiful things. Things that will help us celebrate and have more of those moments. Five days of prayer. I know you already pray. I get it. Five days of specific prayer. Here's how I want you to pray. Pray specifically. Think of one person you know is lost, that's separated from God, and commit to pray for this person for five days using two simple prayers. First one, God, help me love this person the way you do. <laughs> Give me your heart for them. That's the first prayer. Second prayer, Holy Spirit, draw this person to yourself. Soften their hearts and reveal yourself to them. So God's working on us, preparing our hearts, we're also praying that God would prepare their hearts. So this interaction we believe will come. Second thing I want you to do is to 
study Jesus' life. Pick a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And and this week, read one to two chapters each day of Jesus' life, looking for one reoccurring theme. How did Jesus love other people? How did Jesus respond to those differently than the crowd? How did he love them in ways that others did not? Because church, that's our model. That's our example. The third thing I want you to do is to connect. Look at your schedule. Look at your calendars. I know, I understand what it's like to be busy. I get it. But block out some time this week to connect with someone in your life who is lost or apart from God. Maybe that's the sticking point. Maybe we don't have people in our lives that we don't share life with those who are apart from God. Find them. They're out there, I promise. Find an opportunity to connect with them. Be it a phone call, be it coffee, be it at a ball game. There's a lot of different ways we could do that. Genuinely take an interest and try to connect with them. If you don't have time scheduled to be with non-Christians, let me encourage you to adjust your schedule. Find time. Allow God to move us in, to move us closer, to move us forward. Sometimes the moving he does is not about rows or seats. It's about what's in here. And here's what I believe. We take this seriously. We learn to see as Jesus sees. As we search because love demands a search, this will become normal. And what a great way to be known in our community around what God's doing than seeing lives change. You with me there? Starts here. Starts here. I invite Amy. We're, we're going to close today with a song we sang earlier. It's, I, I love the song. And this is where it begins. Grace is on our side. Grace is what moves us. Grace is what motivates us. Grace is what changes us. Starts here. You stand with me? I want to pray for you. And we'll worship him. And we will dismiss. And you will be sent out into his fields. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for seeing us. Thank you, God, for coming to us, for inviting yourself into our lives and asking us, Lord, to accept you into ours. For those Zacchaeus moments that we each had where we just had to see, but an invitation, Lord, to take on your easy yoke. We thank you, Lord, for what we've seen and experienced today, evidence of your grace. Thank you for Chassie's testimony. Does it mean every day after this will be easy for her? No, not at all. Lord, we're reminded of your promise that she won't do it and we don't do it alone. Use her story to impact and to draw others to you. Use our stories to do the same. As we step out into the mess, as we take on your yoke, as you lead us into the dirt, May we not shy away from the opportunities you have for us. From the Mikeys, Lord, that you put into our lives. It's not too late for us to turn around. For you to prepare our hearts. Lord, as we prepare the soil, may it begin within each of us. God, be glorified, I pray. Thank you for this chance to worship you. Lord, may this song be our response, be our acceptance, be our yes. Thank you, God, for sending, for choosing, for loving.
for saving us. In Jesus' name we pray. again next week.